Hi! Thank you for tuning into the Short Stacks. I'm Nisa Quintero, Young Adult Librarian. And I'm Lizzie Jelly, Virtual Engagement Librarian. This is the show where we talk to you about what we've been reading, listening to, or watching. And today we are going to be talking about what we've been watching. Oh, are we ever. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, Lizzie and I both actually watched a couple of the same movies, and then we both watched some different stuff, So, and we covered a bunch of different genres. So we're going to start <laughs> off by talking about some of the same stuff that we watched and, uh, you know, giving you guys some tips on things that you might want to check out as the weather gets colder and you want, you know, cozy season. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Even though, I don't know, today it's really warm out and it doesn't really feel like fall. I'm ready for that fall vibe where you just like stay home, put on a good movie, pajamas as soon as you get home, big mm-hmm. blanket. So we've got some good ones for that kind of energy if you're on that wavelength. Yeah. So which one did you want to talk about first? Well... Being the person that I am, you know I want to talk about... The rom-com? The, obviously. <laughs> I want to talk about Lost City. Okay. So, yeah. So, we both watched The Lost City, which came out this year, uh, which is a romantic comedy starring Sandra Bullock as Loretta Sage, a romance author, <laughs> and Channing Tatum as Alan Ordash, who is the cover model, uh, I think, you know, Fabio, oh, for, for her so. books. It's... Incredible, actually. Oh, and also the villain is Daniel Radcliffe um, <laughs> playing Abigail Fairfax. <laughs> it's so good, actually. Like, and there's on what Brad Pitt makes yes. a very brief yes. cameo as Jack as well. Trainer. Yes, yes, it's yes. Star studded this one. Yes. So yeah, what was your favorite part of it? Oh my gosh, I have too many favorite parts. Actually, <laughs> um, one I was like, wait, an adventure romance with a romance novelist leading lady just screaming into the oh. void. You know, so excited. And I love that there was so many, like, romance novel tropes incorporated mm-hmm. into the plot itself. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if I could read a romance novel and see it play out in front of me, that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we always get that in, like, rom-coms on yeah. the screen. But, like, some of them, if you're a romance reader, you're going to be, like, just gagging at all the tropes that you <laughs> see. Like, I love, like, the oops, I'm shirtless came up all the time. The uh-huh. slowly losing clothing as the movie goes on. Yes, the, like, I have to heal you because you're yeah. hurt oh, right now. Oh, I gotta now. rub your back. I'm gonna put some medicine on you. Oh, absolutely. Be your nurse. And, like, oh, no, only one bed. But it was a hammock, not a bed. But still, uh-huh. they're like, oh, no, I guess we have to cuddle. <laughs> it was just, oh, it was glorious, delicious. If you are a romance lover, it's everything you want. Yeah. One thing I really liked about it, though, is like, you know, I feel like in older romance movies, the roles would have been switched where Channing Mm -hmm. Tatum would have been like the more of the Sandra Bullock character and she would have been more the Channing Tatum character where like, you know, he'd be saving her. But in this, she's like doing more of the saving of him because he is kind of he's very sweet, but he is not the smartest person. Absolutely. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. And he like obviously has feelings for her. But yeah, and she is very smart and she describes herself as a sapiosexual and so she's just oh, it's, it's so cringe too. <laughs> but it is so much like, I, I guess that's another trope too. It's very much like Sunshine and Grump. Like yeah. um, Sandra Bullock's character Loretta is, oh, she's so grumpy. She she's is so, so grumpy. cranky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and she's, yeah, she's getting a lot of those like masculine traits that we see and there's a lot of just gender role reversal in this film, which yeah. was, it was so fun. It just, it added to the comedy without making fun of anybody, which mm-hmm. I really enjoyed yeah I enjoyed it too I also just I was a big fan of Indiana Jones movies growing up and so I liked that kind of vibe because uh, the premise of the story is that Loretta wrote this romance novel and it takes place in like this Mesoamerican city and there's this lost treasure and the city's kind of like the lost city of Atlantis and so she and the or the main character of her book and 
dash, go in search of this treasure. And so Daniel Radcliffe's character, Abigail Fairfax, um, decides that he wants to go look for the lost treasure for real. And Loretta Sage, has uh, her husband died and he was an archaeologist. And so he actually had some knowledge of this stuff. And she had had some knowledge of how to translate things and stuff because she had worked with him in graduate school on some of that. And so Abigail Fairfax comes and kidnaps her because he wants her to help him find this treasure. And then Channing Tatum comes to try to rescue her. (laughs) Just bumbling in, like, I'm going to get her! (laughs) And epically fails. (laughs) (laughs) But in the nicest way. He really does try. He really does try. Yes, yes. And that's, you know, when we see Jack Trainer, Brad Pitt's character come in and also help with the rescue. And he is what you anticipate the leading man would be like. Oh, absolutely. And then I won't spoil it, but something happens to him. And so then it ends up just being her and Channing Tatum. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Everything that goes wrong, everything that could go wrong does go wrong in a lot of ways. And there's Mm -hmm. so many just like little jokes that come through that too like everything you expect should happen Mm -hmm. and like the way that we want like the gender roles to work the way we want like the plot to advance the opposite tends to happen a Mm -hmm. lot which makes it really fun and keeps you on your toes yeah and it's oh it's there's so many things I could talk about but I think my absolute favorite part is the little scene between Loretta and Alan when she really makes a jab Mm -hmm. at romance readers and she kind of dismisses her own work and she's Mm -hmm. like I hate that my romance novels are so popular like why are people reading this absolute trash like mm-hmm. my academic research never went anywhere and she's just really mad yeah and kind of disparaging yeah, yeah like yeah. to her own fans who are like there for her at an author event not like directly to them but yeah. she's saying this to alan and i really love how alan stands up for them and he's like would you stop i can't remember the exact quote and i tried to yeah. look it up so many times uh-huh. but google was not very helpful <laughs> um, and i was like i'll just have to watch it again oh darn <laughs> <laughs> But he really goes at her and he's like, how dare you do that to your fans? How dare you talk trash about something that brings people so much joy? Mm -hmm. And he talks about like when he first started as the cover model for the series that he was really embarrassed and he didn't want to tell his friends or his family that Mm -hmm. he was doing this. But then he had a really like heartwarming interaction with a fan who recognized him on the street and like wanted a picture and was like, oh my gosh, this is so incredible. Mm -hmm. And it totally changed his perspective. He's like, I love that I'm a part of this and that this brings people so much joy and so much happiness when their mm. life is hard. Yeah. And I was like, oh, right in the fields? Yeah. That's why I read these? <laughs> like, that was just for me? But it was it was so incredible, and it really kind of puts Loretta in her place a little bit to mm-hmm. be like, I really shouldn't be talking trash about these people who have been, you know, paying my bills just because I'm going through a lot of really hard things that doesn't minimize their joy yeah. about this thing that I've created. Yeah. And so it's... It's a really cool moment, and I really just mwah, loved it so much. <laughs> yeah, so I would I would highly recommend you check it out if you're into rom-coms. And even if you're not into rom-coms, you might actually enjoy it. Um, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. There's lots of humor. There's, like, the adventure component, yeah. absolutely. There's, you know, the danger. The danger. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's a crowd pleaser. Yes, yes. And, yeah, I love Sandra Bullock, and I also enjoy Channing Tatum quite a bit. So. Oh, absolutely. And their their dynamic together was really good, too. It was. They had great chemistry. But, yeah, so we can go on to the next one, which is much darker. <laughs> oh, yeah, like huge difference, actually. So, we really ran the gamut with our choices. Yes, yes. So um, the next one was uh, this year's uh, The Batman. The Batman. <laughs> um, Starring Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne, uh, Zoe Kravitz as Selina Kyle, a.k.a. Catwoman, mm-hmm. and Paul Dano as the Riddler. 
And it also has Jeffrey Wright as Lieutenant Jim Gordon, and he was in the Hunger Games movies. Yes. Um, so yeah, I wasn't really sure going into this what to expect, because the only other things that I've really seen Robert Pattinson in were Twilight <laughs> and The Lighthouse, which are two oh, yeah. completely different movies. Huge different, very and different energies. Also, I wasn't really a huge fan of either of those <laughs> movies. Oh, <no. laughs> But I was like, I'm going to give it a shot because I do enjoy Batman and the Batman, you know, canon. And I really like Catwoman. So I was like, all right, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I think Zoe Kravitz is awesome. So I was like, I'll give this a shot. And I watched it and I actually enjoyed it. Um, I don't think I enjoyed it quite as much as the Christian Bale Batmans, Mm. but I did like it more than all the other Batmans (laughs) I've seen. And I've seen all of them. Except for, I don't think I ever saw the Ben Affleck one because I was just like, no, I can't do it. I think, <laughs> aside from this one, that's one of the more recent ones. Yeah. But that's just like, just Batman. And- yeah, because they did like Batman and then they did the Batman and Superman one. And I was just like, yeah. eh, I'm not a huge Superman person. So, but like, yeah, like the Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, George Clooney, um, Christian Bale. There's been a lot of Batmans. Um, I've seen all those Batmans. I also grew up watching the Adam West Batman oh, yeah. TV show. Um, so, and I enjoyed a lot of the cartoons growing up as well. But yeah, what did you think of it? I also really liked it. And this Mm -hmm. is coming from someone who struggles with superhero movies a lot. Mm -hmm. But part of why I struggle with superhero movies a lot is because I have to understand a whole universe and Mm -hmm. I get very overwhelmed and I say, never mind, I don't want to watch it anymore Mm because I don't know half these people and everyone else in the theater does. Mm -hmm. But this one, what I really enjoyed is it's kind of set outside of the DC extended universe. Mm -hmm. Like there's still like, you know, familiar characters, familiar like plot points and all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. But you can watch this as a one-off and you're not missing anything. Like that's it. Mm -hmm. And it was really... I don't know. Sometimes when I'm moody, I don't want a romance. I want something dark and gritty. And this was both of those things. Like, both literally dark and, like, thematically dark. Yes. Yeah, I watched this in my living room. I had to turn all the lights off so I could see what was happening on screen because it was, like, both dark and, like, thematic stuff. But then also just visually, it's a very dark film. And so you're like... All right, it has to be dark in the room so I actually see what's happening. No, on the literally, like even like the the daytime scenes, which are kind of few and far between. Yeah. Actually, like it's still dark. Like yeah. it's always cloudy. Like I don't. I think we only get like maybe one or two glimpses of sunshine. I don't in the remember whole. any sunshine. <laughs> there's like one towards the very end, and I think it's like just a little bit of a sunrise. But don't worry, there's lots of clouds. So. <laughs> But yeah. it's really long, too, because I was, saw it yeah. in the theaters uh-huh. ages and ages ago, it feels like. Um, so I had a little help with the darkness because I was in a very large dark room. <laughs> but it was, even though it was, I think it's like, it's almost three hours long. Yeah, it's a long right. movie. Yeah, there was a point where I was like, is this going to be over <laughs> Whereas I was kind of the opposite. Like, I was pretty into it, uh-huh. but like, maybe that was that atmosphere and like that uh-huh. I had a big bucket of popcorn in front yeah, of me yeah. so I didn't have to get up for a snack. Yeah. Um, but I didn't. What's the word? I didn't think it was too long mm-hmm. in a theater setting. If okay. I'm watching it at home, I think it might be a different story, mm-hmm. yeah. though. Yeah. And I do think I think it could have ended a little sooner. Yeah, that's where I was at. Like, I thought it could have ended a little sooner. Um, I did enjoy it, but um, there's, like, a certain point in the movie where Paul Dano gets taken off to Arkham Asylum mm-hmm. and we're led to believe that he's in a cell next to the Joker. Yeah. But the Joker, like, comes off real cheesy, and I was like, eh, I don't know about know. that. And then, but then the movie continues on with, you know, what's going on in the storyline. And I was like, okay, I'm back into this. But like that one scene just kind of took me out of it for mm-hmm. a minute. And I was just like, all right, when is this going to end? And no. I was like, please don't like make the Joker be super goofy in whatever next movie that you make. Because um, I really liked Pal Dano as the Riddler. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect of him as a Riddler because, you know, the Riddler that I knew um, 
that from the previous movies is Jim Carrey. Yeah, very different vibe. Very different vibe because he's very like playful and unhinged but like in a happy way. Right. Whereas this guy's like unhinged in a not happy way and he just writes all these riddles and like and and it was like one thing that I really liked about the movie is that it has a very if you're if you're familiar with the movie 7, it has a very 7ish vibe because all these riddles like you know the the riddler ends up like tying weird contraptions to people's faces mm-hmm. or things like that and the riddles have to be solved in order to keep people from like blowing up no, literally. Like, <laughs> quite literally yes so very dark um and basically the riddler is trying to uncover corruption in gotham mm-hmm. and i really like that aspect of it because i felt like um i know some people don't like politics mixed in with their movies and that's okay um but sometimes i like it and kind of was a reflection of what's going on in, in our world right now yeah. and it yeah it showed you know the riddler being a vigilante trying to get rid of corruption, and ultimately, like, Batman kind of starts to question himself mm-hmm. as to, like, am I really being a hero by being a vigilante because I've kind of encouraged this person to do the same thing that I do, which is something that we've never seen Batman, yes. like, face before in any of the other Batman movies because he's always just, like, I'm a hero. This is what I yeah, do. Yeah, like, law, order, right, wrong, no gray area. Everything is black and white, and I I was obsessed with that, yeah. this Batman. I was like, this is a modern Batman, and I'm actually a very big fan. Yeah. And I loved that the Riddler is the first big villain we meet because I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm tired of the Joker. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Like, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm over it. I don't think it's fun or helpful anymore. And mm-hmm. I was really interested in seeing this different villain get the spotlight in, yeah. like, a completely reimagined way yeah. as well. Like, Paul Dano is, I like Paul Dano a lot, yeah. a lot of stuff that he's in. And it was really, like grungy and like almost like too realistic Uh, I was like oh man this could actually be happening I don't know how I feel it's like I'm an accountant who does not leave his house and has all these things going on and is trying to destroy the world because I can no, through literally. the internet and like yeah uh, like going on <laughs> these like like dark online chat rooms yeah. and like everybody talking about stuff this like vigilante organizing and activism that's happening yeah and I was like this like this actually happens like this yeah. doesn't feel too removed yeah yeah but yeah it was very um politically aware and very um timely yeah I thought as well yeah yeah and I like that you know in the movie they have a different candidate running for mayor who's not corrupt and she is pushing to to be elected, and she's a ray of hope. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt like, I feel like we need that, you know, we need the ray of hope, because sometimes it feels like everything's doom and gloom, and you're just like, maybe there's somebody out there who actually cares and is not going to be doing things just for money. Mm-hmm. Um, so No, that was a big thing. I loved that there was, like, some big themes of, like, just dirty money and how widespread the corruption actually is and yeah. how it's, like, everyone's playing that game even if they don't want to be playing that game yeah and how like even though like there's like a whole thing where bruce has to like confront his past and like his parents as like very very wealthy people Mm -hmm. and how their money helped fund some of this corruption even if it was meant with good intention yeah it helped create this horrible system and it it really kind of breaks him a little bit like i liked this batman wasn't just like oh i'm big macho man everything's perfect i'm gonna fix it yeah he was really depressed yeah. and, like, had a lot of, like, PTSD. And we get to yeah. see him work through, like, that grief and that trauma. Yeah. And he's, like, he's not portrayed as, like, you know, big stunner, super hunk Hawkeye. Like, yeah. he's he looks unwell yeah, for he part does. of the movie. He does. He looks very sickly and, like, yeah, not, not okay. Like, he's not doing good. <laughs> so what's one of the other things that she watched? Oh, my gosh. we're I'm really all over, but I'm going to stick to something that's a little gritty, but a little less gritty. And okay. I watched the remake of Firestarter okay. that came out this past year. No. So full disclosure, I have not read the book or seen the original mm-hmm. because, as you all know, I am terrified of anything scary. 
Um, so even this is a little stretch for me. Uh-huh. But I would almost say that this is more thriller than uh-huh. horror. Uh-huh. Like it didn't like scare me. Like it was more creepy. Yeah. And I kind of like like I can do creepy. Yeah. Right. I can't do boo. Yeah. <laughs> I can't yeah. do jump scares. But it was really really interesting to see this adaptation mm-hmm. come out now because it kind of drew on this like I don't know. I feel like throwback horror is really popular right now. There's a lot of renewed interest in, like, the 1980s and horror that was, like, written in the 1980s, things that are set in the 1980s, and those same kind of, like, fears and monsters that were popular, gosh, 40 years ago are coming back. So that was really interesting to me. But little synopsis for those of you like me who haven't read it or haven't watched the original, Mm -hmm. you're not alone. (laughs) Um, There's parents, Andy and Vicky, do, like, a drug trial in college that gives them superpowers, for lack of a better word. Um... And then they have a daughter named Charlie who also has powers. But Mm -hmm. she's, like, very powerful because she's born with powers and Mm -hmm. didn't, like, get them through the trial. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're on the run from the government because they're, like, they can never find her. They can never know her because they're going to use her to do bad stuff like they tried to do with everyone else who participated in the trial. And they keep her hidden for about 10 years um, until eventually there is an incident at her school where she absolutely loses control and like blows up a bathroom, okay. basically because she's the fire starter. She, yeah. Like her power is fire. She can start fire, yeah. yeah. Um, well, that we see. Okay. I don't know. This whole a lot of this movie felt like prequel, and I was like, what's happening next? <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, now I get the characters. Now where are we going? Uh-huh. I don't think there is anything that comes after, yeah. but that doesn't make it bad. Um, but and after this, um, that gets the government's attention. She and her dad end up on the run trying to get away from the government and her dad has to really reckon with he told her for 10 years to bury her power never let it out and mm-hmm. that really hurt her how old is she in this adaptation? she's 10 okay like she's real young like she's a child okay yeah because i've seen the original and then the original drew barrymore i think is also like eight or nine i so, think so i yeah. think actual drew barrymore was like eight yeah. when it was filmed so yeah. like roughly the same age maybe slightly older yeah. but um yeah and then the government chases them for a mm-hmm. while. I'm not going to tell you what happens, but <laughs> there's a lot of fire. Um, but, yeah, it was really interesting. And I liked Zac Efron in this role as well. I like, okay. I don't know. Y'all know Zac Efron. Like, I met him through High School Musical, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing, Teenage Heartthrob. And he's done a lot more kind of gritty stuff mm-hmm. as he's gotten older. Mm-hmm. And I, it was really interesting to see him as this, like, young father figure role trying to do everything to save his daughter. Okay. And it's... I thought he did a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. And it's short. I think this one is a lot shorter than the original. Like, it was a really quick watch. It was Mm -hmm. maybe, like, an hour and 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Like, we whipped through it. But it was... It was really interesting to see the way they updated this older text as Mm -hmm. well. Because, like, this is written also kind of 1980s at a time when, like, there isn't the same kind of 24-7 news cycle that we have now. There's no cell phones. There's no, like, constantly connected internet activity. Mm -hmm. And watching them, like be on the run from the government when everyone has, like, a phone and can take a picture of you was really Mm -hmm. interesting because it was set now, Uh like, in modern times. Uh But they were, like, an off-the-grid family, Uh basically. Like, they Uh didn't have internet at home. None of them had cell phones. Uh And I don't know how I felt about that. Like, it was interesting that that was their way of... Of dealing with that. Yeah, Yeah. like, dealing with the, oh, here's how the government's not tracking them through their iPhone because they don't have an iPhone. Um, And they, like, only get paid in cash for whatever their jobs are. They work under the table. But, um, yeah, it was... Interesting, because then we see a little bit of how, like, the news cycle comes into play mm-hmm. as they're on the run, and, like, people see them on the news, and I'm like, okay, but, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Yeah. It was interesting. It was good. Okay. But it was very much, like, it felt like I was watching a movie that was made in the 1980s. Okay. So it was, like, it had that, like, bit of, like, that slow build energy. Like, yeah. it wasn't constant, like, stimulation jump scare. It was very smooth. Uh-huh. But 
I like that. Yeah. I think that makes it easier for me to digest. <laughs> so if you're like me in a scare baby, it was great. It was like, you know, like I can watch like Cujo and stuff yeah. like that because it's old and I can separate it yeah. in that way. And this felt like that. Like it literally felt like I was watching the original Carrie, you mm-hmm. know, like yeah. that kind of energy. Yeah. And that's what I remember the original being like more like a thriller and, you know, about this kid with superpowers mm-hmm. and... The, the most creepy thing I remember about the original is there's, like, the government sends this man after her, and he has, like, very heavy pedophile vibes in the original. That's, so he does come after them in this one, too. Less pedophile vibes, but, like, weird, still weird energy coming okay. off of him. Okay. Um, like, he's got, like, a big tarot card tattooed on his back of the mm-hmm. hangman. Okay. It doesn't really, like, no, never really explained what that means mm-hmm. and why. But um, he comes back, and, um, mm-hmm. yeah. I think it could have ended about five minutes before it did because there's a scene with him right at the end, too, that I'm like, I don't know if that needed to be there, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like, you know, in the 80s, at least from what I remember, there was a lot more stuff or like more coverage on TV and things about children being abducted and, mm-hmm. and pedophiles and things like that. So I wonder if that's why that played more of a role in, in no, terms absolutely. of like that, you know. But then when you think about it now, it's like that stuff is still a thing, but it's more like, you know, kids being sex trafficked. Um, right. So, and like, was, yeah, I don't the vibes know. were yeah. really weird. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Like, yeah. it's it was interesting to see. It felt very artistic, uh-huh. um, and less of like a commentary, if that makes sense. Okay. And I wonder yeah. if that was an intentional choice or if that's just kind of what happened. Yeah. But it was it was interesting. But yeah. it, it literally just felt like I was watching a vintage horror movie. Yeah. And okay. I loved that. But okay. um, yeah. I don't know. I'd be interested to hear what others think about it. So if you do check it out and watch it, let me know. I want to talk about it. With yeah. You. Yeah. I'm curious too. All right, so I watched um, a scary movie as well because it was spooky season when, you know, we yes. assigned ourselves this thing and I was like, all right, I need to watch some scary movies. So I watched Scream, but the Scream from 2022. I've Ooh. seen the Scream from 1996. Um, so, you know, we are revisiting the Scream story. And the story, it's 25 years later. It's actually 26 years later, that, you know, that the movie came out. But it reunites Courtney Cox and David Arquette and Nev Campbell uh, 25 years after the original mur- murders in Woodsboro and um, somebody has come back and has started, you know, murdering people. And we find out that this one girl who left town for a bit, um, the person is targeting people who are tied to her because she is Billy Loomis's daughter. Okay. And if you don't know, Billy Loomis was the killer in the first Scream. Mm. Um, and so, you know, this whole story plays out. And it was interesting because it was kind of like a rehashing of the original story, but with different characters, but also it was very self-aware and it mm. talks about its self-awareness. It, it just, uh, like there's a scene where they're talking about, just like in the original, where they're talking about the tropes of horror and okay, why not. Yeah. And so, um, you know, they start talking about what they need to do in order to make this sequel be better than the original, you know, and how to make it different and this and that. And so it, it was kind of frustrating because that happens early on in the movie and it basically gives the whole movie away because um, <laughs> you're like oh I see what they're doing here um, okay. <laughs> but it was fun and like you know revisiting the old characters and and um, you know kind of seeing that dynamic it was also fun in that in the movie David Arquette and Courtney Cox were supposed to have been married and then they get divorced and in real life they did get married Whoa. and then they also got divorced so like their their relationship you know does play out a little bit like Oh, we're like friends, but we were once married, and like so, you know. Yeah. There's the point where she like punches him in the arm because like when when the murders start happening again, he like calls Nev Campbell to let her know that like the murders have started happening, but instead of calling Courtney Cox, he just texts her, and so she gets to town and she's like, "You sent me this in a text," and she like punches him in the arm, and he's like, "Ow!" <laughs> he's like, 
keep you busy. I don't want to bother you. <laughs> so if you uh, enjoyed the original and uh, you don't mind things being a little campy and, and spoiling things for you, <laughs> then I say check it out. Uh, but yeah, otherwise I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily bother. But Maybe I'd like that because sometimes if I know what's going to happen, it scares me less. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe I'll have to try yeah, and it wasn't as gory as the original. Mm. Like, there's some, you know, stabbings and stuff, but it wasn't, like, nearly. Like, I, from what I, the original, I remember, you know, being a lot, lot gorier. I've got one to share that's kind of funny. It's, like, spooky adjacent, okay. I guess. It's called Blood Spirit. Okay. It came out in 2021. Okay. It's a really quirky rom-com set in 1930s London. Uh-huh. Basically, the premise is a medium named Madame Arcadi, who is played by Judy Dench, mm-hmm. um, inadvertently summons, like, the ghost of a popular crime novelist's dead ex-wife, okay. um, who was also his muse and his ghostwriter. Spooky. Um, and she's mad because mm-hmm. um, she's accidentally summoned for one. And also Charles, the novelist, has remarried. Mm-hmm. So she's like, obviously I'm going to homewreck this because <laughs> why wouldn't I? Um, so she's seeking revenge on his current wife, Ruth, and it's really hilarious and over the top and a lot of like, Again, kind of like a throwback movie. It's a lot okay. of slapstick humor. It's mm-hmm. very, like, 1930s trope adjacent. Okay. Um, and it's a really, really over the top as they all try to, like, coexist so Charles can get past his writer's block mm. that he's had since Elvira died because she was his muse. Mm-hmm. Um, with ghost Elvira helping him write his <laughs> first screenplay so they can go to Hollywood, become famous, la-di-da. Um, <laughs> but it's like, it's very funny. And there's some really big themes that I thought were pretty cool, like men taking credit for women's work in okay. a lot of ways. It comes up multiple times in different facets throughout mm-hmm. there. One of them is also with the, um, the medium, Madame Arcadi, who is, um, not believed by the spiritualist society. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like dismissed as being a fraud and they're like, you couldn't have possibly have done this. That's like a level 10 summoning a woman. How do I do that? <laughs> and she's like, no, literally I did. How do I fix it? And they're uh-huh. like. You're banned. Get out. Like, we're revoking your membership. And she's like, well, all right, then. Guess I'm on my own. And, like, trying all these spells to fix it. And she just keeps making it worse. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's, like, it's really cute and it's really funny. Um, But I do wish – it's another one that I wish had ended just, like, two minutes sooner. Because it's, like – I don't know. It's there's a lot of ghost energy that comes up in it. And I don't want to spoil anything that happens because like it's mm-hmm. it's really funny mm-hmm. the stuff that goes on. But there's like an extra voiceover scene at the very end that plays during the credits that I'm like, if that wasn't there, this would have been perfect because uh-huh. it ru- it's like it turns into this like women's revenge epic that I uh-huh. thought was so funny because <laughs> um, it is. It's just over the top, and they're like, well, we're gonna fix this and make uh-huh. him pay for taking credit for all of our hard work. And then there's, like, a voiceover at the end that just, like, undermines them. And I was like, no, we didn't need that. Mm. But otherwise, like, it's really funny. It's a quick watch. It's, mm-hmm. like, if you like kind of, like, vintage stuff with Gatsby energy, it's there. And it's just, I had a good laugh okay, about it. Okay, cool. Yeah, so the the last one that I have on my list is Pig, which came mm. out last year starring Nicolas Cage. And I've been curious about it because I heard a lot of good things about it. Um, but I wasn't even exactly sure what it was about. But I was like, I'm, I'm going to check this out. I'm going to take it like home. Nicolas Cage, so yeah. like, I can see that. I like Nicolas Cage, too. He, but he, you know, he chooses to make all sorts of things. So you never know <laughs> what does. you're getting with the man. That's why you know, I like it's him. Like, he yeah, does it exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's like sometimes it's like artsy stuff. Sometimes it's just like wild. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's national treasure. <laughs> sometimes it's just, yeah, something that's absolutely terrible. But, you know, um, because I feel like National Treasure is fun. Um, oh, it's super fun. It, like, I, we can still like it even if it's not good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, uh, and it's funny because the person I was watching it with was like, he really likes being in movies where, like, he does not look good. 
<laughs> no, that's true, actually. Because <laughs> in this movie, the premise of the movie is that he is a... Um, he, but first, we don't know. He lives in this cabin by himself with mm. this pig, and they go truffle hunting. Okay. So the pig helps him find the truffles, and he looks like a homeless person. Okay. He, like, is in all these layers of clothing, and, like, at one point, we see him in his long underwear, and, like, the s- sweat stains underneath oh, his armpits grim. are, like, super yellow, and, like, and so at the beginning of the film, we see this guy um, played by Alex Wolf. His name's Amir, and he shows up at his cabin to buy truffles off of him. And he trades them for like literally like what looks like $20 worth of groceries. And you're like, really? Because truffles are expensive. But Nicolas Cage takes the the groceries. We see him make these delicious looking foods with stuff. And um, and at one point, the Amir, before he leaves, he's like coughing to indicate, you know, Nicolas Cage probably does not smell very good. And he, you know, he's like, do you need, you know, to, do you need me to, you know, get you a cell phone? Or do you, you know, do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do that? And Nicholas Cage is like, no, you know, I live out in the woods by myself. And it takes place like outside of Portland and just him and his pig. And so then that night um, we see these lights outside and the pig's like sniffing at the door and, you know, we're like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden these people come crashing into his cabin and they kidnap his pig. No, not the pig. <laughs> and so then he goes on this journey to try and find his pig to try and get his pig back it's like taken Um, but it's a pig yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) and then we find out that he has been living in the woods we don't know why Hmm. but he's been living in the woods but he used to be like the best chef in all of portland interesting and so he has all these connections and so uh with the help of amir he goes around to all these different places including like a weird underground fight club for like restaurant workers where he literally lets people be crap out of him so that, so that he can get information about where the pig might be. Um, That's wild. Yeah, I gotta watch this. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, a bunch of like waiters and like and like cooks and stuff in the basement of some just place fighting. just just fighting it out. <laughs> um, and um, Usually we would fight in the kitchen when I worked in the restaurant. <laughs> but yeah, when he shows up, you know, everybody's like, who's this guy? And he's been gone for so long that nobody recognizes him. And so sure. he, he like takes some like charcoal and writes his name up on the board and everybody's like, and then the, every, you see everybody start putting, like, their what, what's supposed to, like, I think stand in for their money. It's, like, playing cards or whatever. They're oh, all, like, okay. setting them yeah. at their feet, like, for, you know, like, they're betting on, on weird him or whatever. Yeah. And so we're, I'm just, like, watching. It's, like, where is this going? Um, <laughs> Literally, I was, like, I'm so lost already, but yes. I'm invested. Yes. And the movie's broken up into parts, and each part is named after some sort of dish. Um, so, like, one's called, like, salted baguette and wine and something else and, um and so there are all these meals. And so we learn about his character throughout the film that he remembers every single person that he ever served food for. And he Whoa. remembers every single meal that he ever made for them. That's creepy. And so at the end or near the end, when he finds the person who stole his pig in order to get the information about where the pig is out, because the guy like, does not want to give him any information, um, he ends up making this dish that he made for this man and his wife that ultimately like made his wife cry and stuff and it was like right before she tried to commit suicide and so like it brings all these emotions forth in this man because he has all these memories and Nicolas Cage is like I never forget what I fed people you know and and, like he goes through all this trouble to get all these different ingredients to make this meal um this is bananas (laughs) uh yeah and like at the beginning the cinematography is really pretty um when he's in the in the cabin in the woods, you know, you see him making stuff and the flowers just kind of raining down on the pig and the pig's just kind of like and he makes the pig like like fancy like food too. Oh, and like cute. and he shares it with that. the pig. And like 
And yeah, it's, it's interesting because like I never thought of this and I don't know if this is true or not, but like the whole truffle industry is being like, it, it almost feels like like illegal drug no, cartels because there's like all these people because at one point he goes to these these people who are also like truffle foragers and, and is like, where's my pig, you know, and, and they're like, they bring in these like tweakers and they're like, you know, did you take the pig? And they're like, oh no, God. we didn't take the pig, you know, and like. <laughs> That's wild. I was like, yeah, I guess I didn't realize that truffle pigs were such a hot commodity. Yeah. I like, yeah. never had one, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've never had truffles. To be, like, yeah. I'm like, not on the truffle pig market. I, I had like truffle oil on something, but I've never mm-hmm. had an actual truffle. So mm-hmm. I don't even, I don't know what they taste like. I know that they're expensive. I know that much. But yeah, so it was good. Um, I was not a huge fan of the ending because it's one of those movies that just kind of like ends. And you're oh, like, okay. oh, you're like. I want more. I, I, need, I need more resolution. closure. <laughs> That's why I read romance. We always get a happily ever after. We know what happens. But, um, but overall, yeah, it was really interesting, and it was filmed really well. It the story was not anything that I was expecting, and I will not, you know, spoil anything else. But that just kind of gives you an idea of kind of where the story goes and. You're just like, who is this person? For for yeah, because a good chunk of the movie, we don't know who he is, and mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, who is he, and why? You know, why are people like so impressed by him? Mm-hmm. Why are people you know scared when they hear his name? Like, it's like, is he a mob boss? No, literally. You know, is he like, is he like John Wick? You know, <laughs> like, who is this man? And it's like, no, he's the best chef in all of Portland. And then he just disappeared one day. Took his pig and I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm took going his home. pig, yep, yep. And it's funny because one of the characters that he meets at one point is like, I thought you were, and he like cuts himself off, but you can tell that he was going to say, I thought you were dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is bonkers. I got to watch this movie. So yeah, so that's pig. Um <laughs> Do you have anything else? I mean, I have one more that okay. I could talk about, sure. I suppose. I also watched Belfast, which won like a ton of awards mm-hmm. or was nominated for a ton of awards mm-hmm. as well. Came out in 2022. It's set in 1969 Belfast mm-hmm. amid what is known as the Troubles. Um, a lot of like animosity and rioting mm-hmm. and bombs um, between like Catholics and Protestants oh, yeah. living yep. in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And it opens up with the August 1969 riots, which were like a huge program against the nationalists and Catholic community in okay. Belfast and, like, kicked off what mm-hmm. is mostly known as the Troubles. Mm-hmm. And it's all told through the perspective of Buddy, who's a nine-year-old boy. Okay. So it's, like, very serious subject matter mm-hmm. as, like, his working-class Protestant family um, tries to navigate, like, everything going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, like, you know, also in school and, like, has a crush on a girl uh-huh. and, like, you know, is dealing with peer pressure and uh-huh. all that kind of stuff. So it's very serious but told with a lot of, like, levity and a little bit of humor as well like there's okay. some funny moments um won a ton of awards it was really kind of cute it's all in black and white okay. which was an interesting artistic choice i thought because yeah. like the opening establishing shot of modern day belfast is in color mm-hmm. and there's like they go to see a movie at one point and the movie that they're watching is in color but they are in black and white mm-hmm. so everything that's set in like 1960s belfast black and white mm-hmm. which was I was like I st- I'm still trying to figure it out to mm-hmm. be honest but yeah. there's like lots of big things about like making hard choices for your family mm-hmm. um Irish emigration which is a huge thing because they talk a lot about if it's safe for them to stay or if mm-hmm. they need to move to Australia just like pick up the whole family and go yeah um and about like the ways that communities had to navigate pressure to pick a side mm-hmm. and pressure to like you know join basically gangs mm-hmm. at this point who were attacking other people's houses mm-hmm. and like setting cars on fire and there's like a couple of really scary scenes where, like, mm-hmm. Buddy gets caught up in a really big riot and they start looting a grocery store and he's just, mm-hmm. like, caught in the fray of it. And, mm-hmm. like, he makes it home to his mom and he, like, has stolen a box of, like, washing powder <laughs> for the washing machine. He's like, Mom, I got this for 
food. She's like, where did you get that? She's so pissed. She's like so angry that he got caught up in this and overwhelmed with everything. Like she marches him back to put it back in like the looted grocery store. She's like, absolutely not. You will never do this again. Uh-huh. My son will not be involved in this. Yeah. And it's just like such a mom moment. Yeah. You know, I was yeah. like, yeah, my mom would have done that too. <laughs> like, um, but then it like devolves into like because uh like the army shows up at mm-hmm. that point and it like gets very very serious mm-hmm. very very fast and yeah. it's like i don't know it kind of wrenches you all over the place also has judy dench in it i okay. don't know i was on a judy dench kick for okay. some reason and a lot of the actors in the movie are either northern irish or connected to belfast in okay. some way so that yeah, was really interesting Saoirse ronan's not in it um katrina balf is in it she's okay. not northern irish she's republic irish okay. but still connected um Jamie Dornan is in it. Oh, yeah, Karen okay. Hines, who is also in Game of Thrones. Um, Colin Morgan is in it. And the writer and director, Kevin Branna, um, is also from Belfast. Mm-hmm. And it's loosely based on his own childhood. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like semi-autobiographical. And it's, I don't know, you just like, you watch a family navigate a really stressful situation. Yeah. And like, they're a working class family. So we see them talk about like debt and like how they're going to pay their bills and like what Christmas is going to be like and like how they're going to support their larger community and their family and like they both grew up in Belfast Uh the parents and they're like can we leave this place we don't know anything else but also this isn't our Belfast anymore yeah so it's I don't know it was pretty good there was a couple moments where I teared up a little bit because I was Uh like oh oh no (laughs) and like I watched it with my husband who's from not Belfast but he's from Ireland and Mm -hmm. so he's like very familiar with a lot of what was going Mm -hmm. on and he's like yeah that was Made me a little homesick in a way, but it was mm-hmm. also very, like, that's a very re- recent part of Irish history, and Northern yeah, Irish yeah. history mm-hmm. that's still very raw. Yeah. But it's interesting to see renewed American interest mm-hmm. in it, because, like, that movie was also very popular over here in North America, mm-hmm. and this is coming out at the same time as Dairy Girls, very mm-hmm. popular TV yep. show, mm-hmm. also set in the troubles of Northern Ireland and Belfast, specifically. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, it's part of that same kind of trend. Similar energy, less funny than Dairy Girls, okay. for sure. A little more um, focus on the serious. But okay. if you like Dairy Girls, you'll like this film as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I do enjoy Dairy Girls. And I'm, this sounds interesting. Um, I, uh, I've i seen, I can't remember what the name of the film was, but I remember there was a film that came out probably like at least 10 years ago that was more about like once people started taking sides and it was about mm. like people in the IRA and like oh, yeah. who like, you know, like bombing other people and things like that. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to like, see more of like how it all started um yeah it was interesting to see like everything kick off like it's literally just like a normal day like they're like kids playing in the streets and then like we watch the riot yeah, yeah. happen and it's like it's really scary um but I don't know I'm still interested in why it was set in black and white okay because I'm like I don't know like it almost removes us from it in a yeah. way because I'm like this is, this really wasn't that long ago in yeah. the grand scheme of things yeah. but um I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out yeah. in a way. So I'd, if you watch it, I also want to talk about that. Come talk to me about all the movies I watched, apparently, because yeah. I, I need opinions. I'm trying to remember it because I remember, like, watching Angela's Ashes, too, and I'm like, was that in black and white? I don't remember if that was in black and white because that's also, like, an Irish yeah, film like of, a, like, coming-of-age story or whatever. Like uh-huh. a stylist. It, like, I thought yeah. this movie was going to be a little more like Billy Elliot. I'm okay. not going to okay. lie. Okay. And, like, there's some similar themes, but it's a little different than Billy Elliot. Yeah. But yeah. if you like that one, you'll also like this one. There's some cute, like, father-son moments and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, it's always interesting watching those kind of films because, like, I learned so much about other cultures and things that happen mm-hmm. in other places because it's, like, that or, like, reading books. Because um, I remember Angela, Angela's Ashes, you know, watching when he goes to, like, live at an orphanage for a bit because his parents just can't afford to, like, take care of him anymore. And it's just, like, wow. It's really sad. Yeah. yeah. And there's, like, some of that stuff that comes up in here, too. It's, like, watching them, like, you know, deal with family members getting sick because mm-hmm. of 
working conditions mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And that's just like a normal thing mm-hmm. in the community and in their neighborhoods specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they all have to like come together despite all these divisions that were kind of created as mm-hmm. part of this. So it's, I don't know, it's rough. It's interesting. Um, if you don't know anything about the troubles in Northern Ireland, it does give some interesting context. Mm-hmm. I mean, with a grain of salt, because it's told by a nine-year-old boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it was really interesting and informative. And there's like a little bit at the end where they talk about like how it impacted Belfast's future. And mm-hmm. how that moment was like really a huge part of history that kicked off like a change for the whole city and the whole country. Mm-hmm. And it was, I don't know, it was very reflective. And I kind of liked that. Yeah, it was cool. like watching a memoir. Okay, cool. All right, well, do we want to do some library news? Oh, absolutely. So we are already in November, and wow, I can't believe it. Uh (laughs) But we've got some great stuff coming up for you at the end of November, including a program called The Wreck of the SS Edmund Fitzgerald, you know, if you want to learn more about historical tragedies, (laughs) um, at 6.30 p.m. on Monday the 14th. Come learn about one of the Great Lakes' most notorious shipwrecks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and actually uh, there was an exhibit a few, like two years ago at... MSOE downtown oh, sure. um, because there was a, it was called the Two Edmonds and it was about the Edmund Fitzgerald ship and then this Edmund I can't remember what his name was but he was like a artist from the Milwaukee area oh, who sure. did like uh, covers for Time magazine and stuff and it was cool. an interesting exhibit sorry side that's note. a no that's a cool thing actually <laughs> I, like, I never thought to put that together I like that <laughs> so definitely come to that on Monday the fourteenth um, we've got Ryman Reed Lapstick continuing this month on Tuesdays. We've got Story Times continuing on Thursdays. Registration is required. Reach out if you would like to register. We've got Art Cart to Go on Wednesdays yet again. We've got the AM Book Club meeting for November on Thursday, the 17th at 11 a.m. And this month they are reading, ooh, The Sentence by Louise Erdrich. Cool. That one's meant to be very good. It's like spooky haunted bookstore set in 2020 Minneapolis. Okay. So, and like it talks about like all the stuff that was going on with like George Floyd Floyd and everything. everything. So like I've been meaning to read it. So I won't be there, but I will be reading that book. (laughs) And then of course, with the holiday coming up at the end of the month, the library will be closed on Thursday, the 24th and Friday, the 25th, but we will be back open on Saturday, the 26th for regular hours. We have a teen advisory board meeting mm-hmm. coming up on Tuesday, the 29th at 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. And we have a bunch of stuff happening the first week of December as well, including, drumroll, <laughs> the Holiday Book Talk with Daniel Golden at 11 a.m. on Saturday, December 3rd. So yeah, definitely always, tune in for that. Always fun to hear Daniel's recommendations. I know. I always find books that I haven't even heard of somehow. Uh-huh. I was like, I'm a librarian. How did I not hear about this? Right. Like, <laughs> anyone should it should have been us Mm -hmm. and then of course second week of december we have the pm book club meeting at seven o'clock um and this month or next month i guess they are reading bewilderment by richard powers it's about an astrobiologist Hmm. searching for life throughout the cosmos while raising his unusual nine-year-old okay i would would read that Um, an unusual nine-year-old absolutely (laughs) i was a big fan of the book contact by carl sagan Um, oh sure you know all about searching for Extraterrestrial yeah. life. Like, I love talking about aliens. <laughs> I can talk about aliens all day. Do not get me started. <laughs> and then, of course, we've got the Family Fun Night to Go kit for December coming up on the 13th. Okay. Did I miss something important? Oh, I think I did, actually. Digital Resources 101. If you want to learn about ebooks, libraries, digital resources, come hang out on Wednesday, November 16th at 10 a.m. I think those are our big events coming up for the next couple right. of weeks. Very good. 
Well, as always, if you have any questions or comments for your hosts, you can email us at shorewoodstacks at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Please reach out. I want to hear what you think of my movies. Yes, <laughs> me too. And uh, thanks for listening and be well. The Shoreward Stacks is produced by Lisa Quintero and Lizzie Jelly for the Shoreward Public Library. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. The song is called Ice Flow and can be found on incompetech.com. <laughs>